I want to divide our session into three parts. The first part, I want to speak more about our context, who we are as a person, what is our environment that we find ourselves in, and some of the principles that can guide us there. Then I want to share a few thoughts about the nature of meditation and practice and exercise with you of meditation. And then I'd like to open it up for discussion so you can teach me at the same time. So that's the way that we're going to spend our time. And I look forward. We are complex items of creation, the human being. And the human being is not one uniform system. It's many component parts coming together. It's complex. Certainly in our contemporary world, the fields of psychology and psychiatry and biological science have given us much greater insight into the complexity. But even so, I believe it hasn't begun to scratch the surface. And the ancient and original teachings that we received at Har Sinai still provide us with a much deeper vantage point. Let me begin in this rather dramatic way. A few moments before a person dies, they have perfect hearing and perfect seeing. Let's assume so. A few moments after the person dies, the person no longer hears or sees. Why? There's been no decomposition in those few moments of either the ear or the eye. Technologically, biologically, they are still intact. And yet, the experience of hearing and seeing is no longer there. Well, you'll answer me, it's quite obvious. The person's dead. But what does that mean? That's just the word. You're not really explaining to me anything whatsoever. We have to assume that although there is a non-decomposed biological body after death, Something has gone missing in the interim, in those few short moments. I don't mind what you call the missing item. Call it abstractly energy. The energy that flowed to animate that body, metaphorically, the electricity that, flew, that, that flowed from the plug in the wall to make sure that the light provided its potential, somehow rather was turned off. In other words, that energy has gone missing. We call that energy neshama, loosely called soul. But I don't mind what you call it. Just admit to me that you agree that something's gone missing. When the flow of energy called neshama, 
interfaces with the biological technology called ear, the result is a human experience called hearing. When that same energy, neshama, flows through the body part known as I, the result is an experience known as seeing. When it flows through a much more complex part of the body, but nevertheless just a part of the body, a piece of biological technology called brain, the human experience is called mind. In Hebrew, we call mind seichel. Seichel is a product of the neshama flowing through the brain. Sight is the result of the neshama flowing through the physiology of the eye, likewise in terms of hearing. When the energy flows through the whole body simultaneously, we call it in our language here, consciousness. So consciousness is our experience of the sum total of that energy flow flowing through all the component parts of the body. But usually when we use the word consciousness, we use it in such a way that we don't really know what we're talking about. It's just the word. And yet in our tradition, we're much more pragmatic. We're going to stay with the dualistic approach. Neshama and guf, soul and body. Having said that, I said to you earlier that we're much more complex. We have layers. Now I'm going to share with you another layer. That flow of consciousness can be directed for good or for bad, for right or for wrong. Now I've introduced value stances. I'm going to give you a pragmatic definition. Good is when it is servicing the world, the purpose of creation. Bad is when it's egotistic and self-centered. We have terms to describe these two tendencies. And these are tendencies within the energy system, within the neshama. It's like there are two currents within the energy flow. One is called nefesh elokit, our altruistic self, higher order self, sharing self, giving self. And then there is nefesh bahamit or nefesh bahamis, our lower order self, our ego self, our insecure self, the self that constantly seeks to shore ourselves up. It's all about me. Every one of my thoughts, every one of my words, Every one of my actions are either an expression of the lower me or the higher me, the giving me or the grabbing me. 
Jewish self-mastery is to be able to train our consciousness flow so that it is always flowing through the higher self. For that, we need mechanics. For that, we need training. For that, we need practice and methodology. But a little more of the theory first. At every single moment, you and I have absolute free choice. Absolute free choice to express ourselves through our higher self or lower self. All too often, the circumstances of life overwhelm us and we become insecure and we become a victim of the lower order self. And I grab everything that I need because I feel insecure. The way that we can stop that sense of insecurity is by activating the higher self. Easier said than done. Let me share with you a little more about the lower self. The lower self is responsible for our physical integrity. So it's got some positive virtues, redeeming virtues. It's called food, clothing, shelter, like Maslow's hierarchical model. And there's nothing wrong with that. We have to eat. We have to dress. We have to have protection against the elements, our home. However, the lower self doesn't know when to stop. How much food? How much clothing? How much shelter? No, I've got used to food. I will only eat the, at the best restaurants and only eat hot cuisine. Lower self. Clothing? Unless it's designer label, forget it. My handbag has to be a uh, Louis Vuitton. Otherwise, I'm not having a handbag. Lower self. In my home, it's got to be like the mansion in Gone with the Wind with pillars in the front, white, and I've got to have chandeliers in every room, including the toilet. Never enough. Always more. Why more? The Nefesh Bahami says, you've got to live, but it doesn't stop. It says, you've got to have more and more at which point we need to switch to our higher self. And the higher self says, Ad Khan, enough. This is all you need. Now service the world, give of yourselves, express love, connect, get out of your victimization and move into the centrality of making the world a better place. Making your coworker grow because you become a mentor. Allowing your partner in life, your spouse, facilitate their growth. In other words, these two tendencies of self-centeredness and other-centeredness are constantly competing. And we have to be quick-witted. We have to be on our toes. We have to be aware of ourselves in the moment and always engage the higher self. The lower self always takes care of itself. You will never stop yourself from eating when you need to. You won't starve. 
and you always have some clothing, but how much? So this is the nature of our life. And it's got everything to do with security and insecurity, especially emotionally. And then there's another obstacle course that today you and I have to navigate. And it's called the media. And you and I know that the media is not a beneficent educational institution. The media is an exploitative mechanism seeking your attention because your attention gives its ratings and ratings bring commercialization and profits. And the media also knows its psychology. It knows full well that if it can frighten you, you'll stay glued to the screen. And therefore, media frightens. Sensationalism, partisanship, and the result is you do remain glued to the screen. But what's even worse is you begin to believe the screen. And the result is a default insecure response to life. How many of us today, because of the way that COVID has been portrayed, live a life of insecurity? Don't get me wrong. I know COVID is dangerous. But I also know the statistics that less than 4% of the world has not suffered to the point of danger, which means 96% have been very well, thank you. I'm realistic. I've had my third dose, my third uh, shot. At the same time, I wasn't afraid beforehand and I'm not afraid now. I know statistically it's highly unlikely that I'll become ill in a way that is really hurtful to me. But that's my state of mind. It's because I don't watch the media, not much at all. I don't believe the media. I make my own investigation and then have to use my judgment. This is the point. I can direct the flow of energy, the shana, through my brain and have a certain outcome that's guided by my higher self, positivity. In other words, tracht gut und wird sein gut. Think positive and the outcomes will be positive. I train myself to have a positive disposition. That is a choice. Is it realistic? As realistic as choosing to be in fear. As realistic as choosing to be a victim. The statistical probability is pretty much the same. There's not much difference between the two. In fact, each is a 50-50 percentile one way or the other. And you have a choice of probability, which way you will choose to believe. And that's a key point. Because the axiom you choose is a belief system. Will you believe in positivity or negativity? Because that's going to cloud your emotions. 
and it's going to make you either in a state of fear living in our world or a state of happiness as a consequence of the relations that you have. So here we have the uh, equation. We're living in a technologically oriented world that seeks to exploit you for its purposes. And you have to be able to rise to the challenge. You're not going to rise to the challenge by simply making a one second commitment. You can only rise to the challenge by practicing technique, by learning how to master the way you interpret the world. Fear is an emotion. So let me tell you something about emotions. Emotions don't just come. Before you have an emotion, before you feel anything, there is an interpretation. Listen carefully. Before a feeling comes mind. There's no such thing as a feeling without there being a prior mind interpretation. I know some of you will say, but hold on, I know people who are purely emotional. No, they're not. They're not purely emotional. They're highly emotional. They may not give sufficient time, effort, credibility for balanced interpretation, and therefore they fly off the handle, whether one way or the other. Always mind comes first. And that's why there's the wonderful mastery teaching of the Alter Rebbe in Sefer Tanya, where he says, Moyach Shalit Al Halev. The mind must determine the outcomes of the emotions. Think about it. Do you really have any feelings without a thought? not having given its ascent first. It's impossible to feel something without a compass bearing for that feeling. The mind gives the compass bearing. That's what in recent literature has become known as emotional intelligence. They finally caught up with the uh, Al-Tarebbe, Mayach Shalit Al-Halev, 250 years late, but doesn't matter. They get there and they realize that emotions need to be intelligent. And for an emotion to be intelligent, the mind has to give a compass bearing to the emotion. Mind comes first. Interpretation comes first. So whether you choose to be a victim or not requires you to be masterful of the interrelationship between mind and emotion, what we call seichel and midos. And we practice that. We practice allowing our default response to life not be one of fear and victimization, but of positivity. Now, as I said before, it's a matter of belief. There's a 50-50% probability that life is going to disappear in the short future, the world's going to blow itself up or what have you, or COVID is going to eradicate all forms of life, or we'll overcome and we'll go back to a good life in between the various crises that history has pronounced upon us.
It's a belief. You don't know. I'm asking you to adopt axiomatically a positive belief rather than a negative belief. Why? Not that I can prove it to you that it's more accurate, but it will lead you to a much better life. It'll lead you to states of happiness. Not only that, your relationships will improve. Harvard University at the end of 2019 published its results from a four-decade study on happiness. Not four decades, four generations. A four-generational study. You know what one of the results, important results was? Happiness, the biggest factor that contributes to happiness is quality of relationships. The quality of relationships determines outcomes of happiness. And what creates quality of relationships? Here's the interesting one. Whether you're a positive person or a negative person. People don't like to be around negatively disposed people, down people. People like to be around up people. Relationships prosper with up people. They suffer with down people. Tracht gut, wird sein gut. The third Lubavitch Rebbe uttered that phrase, which means think positive and the outcome will be positive. Positivity produces positivity. So the way to be able to respond to a world that seems threatening is to take stock and allow yourself, in terms of the dynamics of who you are, to adopt positivity. As I said before, I'm a realist. I know there's a 50-50 probability, but I choose freely the positivity probability, not the negativity one. I know that history is on my side. I know that in history, the world has always pulled away from the edge. Here we are. I know in history, good has eventually always triumphed over bad. Hitler isn't in charge today. A free world is in charge today. Something, there's a dynamic within the nature of creation that leans towards positivity. So if I'm going to give you any words of advice, train for a positive disposition, which means make sure that your mind produces positive thoughts because they, in turn, will produce positive feelings. Negative thoughts, negative feelings. Well, can you train your mind? Can you train your thinking? Most people say no. The answer is absolutely yes. Of course you can. You know, Hashem created us in a very, very wondrous manner. One of the aspects of wondrousness is you cannot think of two things at the same time. You can't. In the one instant, you cannot think of two things. You can oscillate very quickly between two things, between two images of the mind. But in the one instant, you can only have one image there. Use that in your favor. How? If there is a negative thought in your mind, replace it. 
insert a new slide of consciousness into the mind that is positive. How? You train it. How do you train it? For example, one exercise I give uh, my clients is I ask them to be able to come up with a image in their mind of moments that are truly happy. Think of one moment in your life, whether childhood or adulthood, when you were ecstatically happy. Then I take them through meditatively to be able to ingrain that particular image in their mind. And then I tell them to practice three times a day to allow that image to be there for 60 seconds. Three times 60 seconds, three minutes a day. Not much. For two months. And I assure you, they become changed people just because of that one exercise. And there are many others. Why? Because we have default mind attitudes. Some people are predisposed to negativity, bad thoughts. How do you undo them? Well, bad thoughts come automatically when you've programmed them like that, which means in modern science, when neurotransmitters flow from certain nerve end fibers and that becomes that thought, and the more that thought is there, the deeper the groove of that neurotransmitting pathway, and the more likely it will come up to the point that your default or what we call commonly habit is negative thinking. How do you undo it? Substitute. Three times a day for two months, put down a new groove of the mind and allow that to become deeper and deeper engraved so that the old groove gets undone Grass grows over that old pathway, and the new groove becomes your habit, your default. In other words, your tendency becomes positive. And as I said before, with that positivity comes all the wonderful perks of uh, relationships and happiness and what have you, etc. So think carefully. To what extent are you surrounded by negativity? Be it media. Are you addicted to negative messages? Be it people, are you surrounded by people who are victims and in fear? And your own inner environment. Do you choose your higher self or your lower self to express who you are? The Nefesh Elokis or the Nefesh Bahamis? So these are just some theoretical constructs that I wanted you to be aware of that in the world in which we live in, there are important things we have to note about how we're being culturally programmed negatively and that there are ways of overcoming it. And within the Jewish spiritual teachings, we have mechanics to give us the tools to be able to change ourselves accordingly. One of those tools is meditation. Now, the word meditation means many, many different things. In fact, if you consult Professor Google, you'll probably have uh, hundreds of different uh, definitions of uh, meditation and modalities and the like. But meditation is just the word. The common denominator behind all meditations is focus. What you focus on 
how you focus, why you focus on it, that is culturally determined or a spiritual pathway teaching or medically suggested. Meditation is just the word, but you have to be careful to make sure that you're using the technique towards a positive aim and positively. We're going to practice a little meditative technique. But first, let me add that not every meditation is good. In fact, in 1979, the Lubavitcher who as Rabbi introduced, today is Yud Shvat, which is the date that uh, so many decades ago, the Lubavitcher Rebbe assumed office in 1951. He gave a discourse in 1979 on meditation, and he said, not all meditations are good. In fact, you and I probably will recall that in the 60s and 70s, some enterprising Hindu gurus made their way across from the uh, east to the west and reintroduced techniques of meditation, which therefore became the norm, and they were really Hindu-based meditations. Well, not all Hindu-based meditations service the Jewish soul. There are 71 different soul systems. Jewish is one of them. And each soul system has its spiritual food. And sometimes the spiritual food that's being offered is not appropriate for that Jewish soul system. So TM, for example, Transcendental Meditation, one of the techniques has certain aspects that are very hurtful to a Jewish soul. God forbid, even destructive. And that's because it's got elements of what we call Avodah Zorah. Every one of those mantras that they give you is the name of a, a, a Hindu deity. They don't tell you that. The technique is good. The content is bad. So take the technique. The Rebbe said, take what's good and use it. If you want to use that technique, substitute a word of Torah as your mantra, so to speak, whatever might be the case. That's one methodology. In our tradition, there have been two primary rationales for meditation. One we call hisboinanus, which means to be able to take a wisdom teaching and internalize it so that it would become part of your default behavior that day and in your life. The way we do that is we learn a, a piece of teaching from a master, a maimer, we call that teaching. And then at the end, we take one particular aspect of it and we meditate on it, internalizing it, bring it within so that it becomes us, utter connection. So let's become a person who grows. The other format of meditation is more contemporary. And that's used medicinally or therapeutically. And that is to use meditation in such a way that will change our thought patterns, that will change our disposition, that will change the way that we view the world. And very often that means to de-stress. Because stress and uh, um, the kind of upset that we gain in life today causes harm to the body. The mind filters down to the cellular level of the body. The way that we think 
affects our health. Positivity heals the body, maintains the body. Negativity hurts the body, makes us sick. That correlation is very well established today in medicine too. All right, so I'm gonna take you through a, a little exercise. The first exercise is to relax you, to de-stress you. I'm gonna focus on breath because breath, the Hebrew word is neshima, is obviously very closely related to the word for soul, neshama, neshima, neshama, because breath is the first level of expression of the soul. And therefore, if we can determine the way we breathe, we can alter the pathway for the neshama's expression. And that's in a relaxed state. So that'll be the first part of the meditation. The second part of the meditation is to infuse you with a sense of positivity by feeling safe in whatever environment, emotional or physical. So let's do it. Just adopt a position of symmetry where your feet are planted on the ground next to each other, your hands resting on knees or thighs, your back fairly straight, your head well balanced on your shoulders, and gently close your eyes and just follow my voice. Breathing in quite naturally and out naturally. And if you can, breathe in and out through your nose. And as you breathe in, feel the relative coolness of the air. And as you breathe out through your nose, feel that the air has become warmer. So take a slow, deep breath in through the nose, feeling the coolness of the air. And then gently breathe out and feel the warmth of the air. And just breathe in and out through the nose, being aware of the temperature differential. Slow down and deepen your breathing. Cool, warm, And with your next breaths in, direct the air down below your lungs to your abdomen. And the way to achieve that is, as you breathe in, expand your abdomen. And then pull your abdomen in to release the air. So breathing in deeply, slowly through the nose, in, down to the abdomen, expand your abdomen, collect the air, and now pull it in to pump the air out. 
and just practice that for several breaths because it's counterintuitive. Expanding your abdomen as you breathe in, contracting your abdomen to push the air out. Do that for three or four breaths. And now let's lend some rhythm to the breathing. We'll breathe in for a count of three, hold for a count of three, and breathe out for a count of four. So take a slow, deep breath in, two, three, hold, two, three, out, two, three, four. Through the nose, in, two, three, hold, two, three, out, two, three, four. Nose and abdomen. In, two, three, hold, two, three, out, two, three, four. And just continue breathing abdominally, breathing smoothly, gracefully, a perfect circle, no bumps, smooth, even, in and out. And just feel in the background how relaxed you'll become in the space of a few short minutes. Something you can do whenever you choose to. Continuing with the second exercise. Visualize in your head a source of light pleasant and warm, a little spiritual light bulb in the center of your head, the seat of your higher order self-soul, your nefesh elokit. Allow it to be comfortable and warm, spreading light throughout your headspace. Increase the intensity of that light source, comfortably so, so the light begins to flow down from your headspace, down your neck, into your upper torso, and feel your chest and back and arms become a glow with the light filtering from the center of your head, your upper body feeling warm and comfortable, connected to the light source inside your head. 
increase the intensity of that light source even more. So it begins to flow down to your lower body, through your thighs, legs, feet. Your whole body feels warm and aglow, comfortable and lit up. Increase the intensity of the light in your headspace even more so that throughout your body, it begins to filter out through your skin. The light begins to glow through your skin, creating an aura all around you. A beautiful, wonderful aura of safety. You are a in a cocoon within your aura. We call that aura the Magen Avraham, Abraham's shield, protecting you, affording you safety. A light shield all around you. Protecting you wherever you go, not unlike the mezuzah on your door. Feel and sense that aura around you glowing, keeping you safe within directly connected to the light source within your head. Intensify the light source even more so that the glow extends and encompasses all those in your home. Encompasses your home. Feeling safety all around and others within your aura of safety. Extend the aura again and allow your Magen Abraham shield to extend into the world leaving your spiritual signature in the cosmos at large, helping make the world a better place with your insight, your enlightenment, your glow, feeling safe, warm and comfortable because of the nefesh elokit that flows through your head, through your body and out, an aura of safety around you.
come back to your breathing and gently breathe in and out through your nose. Feeling the cool air entering and the warm air exiting. Begin moving your fingers and your toes, wherever you are. Move your fingers, move your toes. And when you feel ready, gently open your eyes, coming all the way back into the room. Okay, we should be all together now, feeling relaxed, comfortable, right? Okay, so what did we do today? We looked at some notions and ideas, both from a Hasidic teaching point of view and through some contemporary scientific notions of how we have the capacity to be able to resist what is being imposed on us, whether culturally, whether technologically, or from our own inner shortcomings. And then we looked at meditation as a technique for relaxation response, and also to begin a pattern of default thought patterns based on positivity, of which there are many variations on the theme. And now let's spend a little time talking to each other. And for those who are interested, I produce every uh, week daily meditations, three minute meditations to help you through the week. And if you'd like to receive them, I've just put on the chat my email address. And I would ask you to email me with your cell number because they come through WhatsApp to your phone. So if you email me with your cell number and your city and state, I'll happily put you on the WhatsApp chat list to receive these daily three minute meditations. And I've also put up there my book and where you can get it if you so wish. But let me now hear from you. Rabbi, take it over. Rabbi Wolf, thank you very much. Um, I love doing a meditation with you. I always get this like tingly glow in the <laughs> back of my head. Um, I don't know if it's just me or if that's normal, but either way, I'm not complaining. Um, <clears throat> okay, let's. So, Rabbi, what do we want to do now? Some QA, possibly? Is that what we're Yeah, looking? that's exactly it. Right. So, if anyone has any questions, uh, they can verbalize it. It's just. Uh... Yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, again, thank you, Rabbi. No one should go anywhere, by the way. We have Q&A discussion, and then I want to show you a quick 90-second clip. So we're still, hopefully everyone's still good with some time, with a few more minutes. So hang on for the ride. Okay, let's open it up with questions or comments. Um, you can put into the chat and we can discuss it, or you can raise your hand physically or um, digitally with the, uh, the old hand thing. Either way, uh -huh. um, let's go. Yeah. Did I hear somebody have a question or was it just me? 
<laughs> Speak now, forever hold your peace. I don't want to feel that I've cowered you into submission so quickly. Bethany. Yes, thank you. Sure. I'm sorry I was late, but I'm so glad that I made it. <clears throat> I particularly like when you were talking about changing the channel or the habit yes. of our thought process and uh, getting, replacing it with a better one. But I particularly love the part where you said, let the grass grow over the old one. <laughs> yes. I mean, just that visual was perfect for me for things that are repeatedly right. coming up that aren't positive. Yes. So yes. I'm going to, it's like bury them. Very, very good. And it really works. Although it was just the, um, an image I gave you, the truth is that as you actively bring to mind more often positive thoughts, it changes the environment of your mind. And as a consequence of the uh, environment of the mind changing, you're able to uh, have more likelihood of positive dispositions to even troubling circumstances. And the rabbit told us so many different Beautiful, beautiful. We have also a comment here um, from Robin. Can you talk more about how to stop negative thoughts? So Rabbi, if you can address that, yes. how do we stop in, in real time? How do we stop negative thoughts? The Alter Rebbe in Sefer Tanya gives a very colorful image. He says, if two people are wrestling each other <clears throat> and one of them is sluggish and uh, lazy, then even if the, his opponent is weaker, Nevertheless, the smaller, weaker opponent will triumph because sluggishness and laziness is always doomed to failure. Therefore, if we take the, to answer your question, the easy path out and say, oh, look, the negative thoughts, they're just too much, too big. I can't do anything about it. You're being sluggish and lazy. The point being, as I said earlier, don't necessarily fight fire with fire. In other words, you don't need to have strength to overcome negative thoughts that, and, and of equal intensity. What you need is to be alert and fit and be able to move quickly in terms of the mind, which means how quickly can you insert a positive thought to displace the negative thought? How much willpower do you have to do that? How long can you maintain it? And I assure you, the more you can displace the negative thought by inserting a positive thought, which automatically gets rid of the negative thought, and the longer you can hold on to it, and the more you can practice it over and over again, then as was said by Stephanie earlier, the grass will just simply grow over the old groove and you'll have a new default response of positivity eventually. It doesn't happen immediately, but with practice, 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 it does happen for sure. I noticed also, I noticed also um, that 
discipline when I get myself into that net, you know, into my old, the old tapes and the negative thinking that when I do just, you know, put in its place, those happy thoughts. And when I'm happiest and put joy in my heart and joy and displace it and, and remember the joy, then mm. quick mm. all of negativism uh, around me or that I'm slipping back into just melts away instantly. That, exactly, and Alison. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Agree. Joel, Joel and Ed have their hands up. Joel. Hi. So very much, uh, Rabbi, to the point that you just made, um, I'm wondering if there is um, some hint you can give us uh, to sort of, like, I, I kind of like see this as a, uh, like a piece of a hacker's code that we could uh, implant in ourselves when we're doing these meditations to say, ah, the trigger's going off and I'm going there. No, go right back. So, so um, I remember there was a particular chapter in uh in uh, Tanya, 33 or 34, of a, uh, Ari will remember this, but that, that, that completely affected me, like forever. Mm -hmm. If a guy is um, uh, dominating uh, the silent Amida, and uh, he gets distracted by thoughts, and he's thinking about women, and he's thinking, man, I'm a really bad person. He says, just don't spend another moment thinking of it. Just go right back to where you are. You're a human being. You know, mm -hmm. the evil inclination, mm -hmm. God hold you, the, the weaker part, gotcha. Mm -hmm. And uh, okay, so you got gotten, so so get right back and don't waste any more time with it. I love that as a piece of advice. Is there some kind of hacker's code that we can plant to trigger that kind of reaction? Like, don't stay there, go right back. Yeah, that, that hacker's code is to be aware, mindful and conscious within the moment. In other words, what happens is we have to be alert. When there's been a breach in our defenses, well, how quickly you can detect that breach is how effectively you can deal with it. All too often, the breach takes place and either we're unaware of it or we dwell so much in trying to uh, uh, fill the breach that we forget that all we need to do is to change the scene altogether and there's no breach whatsoever. Go back to a positive thought, or as you said, go back to the beginning where you had started off. So yeah, absolutely. To catch the earlier stage. Yeah. The earlier stage, the better. Mm. Ed? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Rabbi. And uh, apologize, was a few minutes late. So if you covered uh, right. what I'm going to ask. Um, so I know most of what we did tonight was in, in English, but does uh, Jewish meditation and, and what you teach and maybe what Ari's going to uh, be presenting in his six-week course. Does that require uh, a, a certain level of proficiency in uh, uh, spoken or, or written Hebrew? No. Um, we're dealing with human psychology, and we're not dealing with language. And that's why the Rebbe was insistent that, for example, the Tanya and other works be translated into many, many languages, because language is only the pathway to the core, which is the information. Um, likewise, in what I teach, it's almost exclusively in English. I introduce basic terms 
and I provide the English for them, but it's the concept, the meaning, that's the most important factor. And I know in that six-week course, it's all in English. There will be terminology that's introduced that explains it in the original because we want to be authentic and recognize its place in the original, but it's the teaching, the content, that's the most important factor. Thank you. Dr. Maxi. Thank you. My question is, uh, Rabbi Wolf, you had mentioned during your remarks about TM and that there were other phrases that we can substitute that are good for yep. the Jewish soul. So what might some of those phrases or mantras that would be okay. good for the Jewish soul? The truth is that every single word of the Torah is a divine expression. So you can actually have any word that you choose from the Torah itself. Some of the common ones that have been chosen is the four letters of God's name, Yud and Hey and Avav and Hey, not for pronunciation, but more in terms of imagery and in terms of uh, um, words. Ein Od Milvado is nothing other than godliness. But the truth is that every single meaningful phrase that you are taught in a Hasidus or Torah is a mantra. Uh, I'm using the word mantra because of its original intent in the Eastern teachings. What it simply means is you're repeating it. It's not a mantra, a repeating sound, uh, sometimes made up into a word, sometimes just sounds itself. And I've been talking here about repetition and repetition, repetition. So if you can fill your mind with a repetitive word or words, which have a positive disposition that speak to your soul, then that obviously is going to have a very positive result in the way that you respond spiritually and therefore consciously to the world at large. So just go through and choose whatever makes sense to you or appeals to you. It's the technique of focusing that works. I assure you, it's not any... Um, magical, spiritual content of the mantra that they chose. Thank you. Okay. Um, did we have another question? Vlad. Jump sure. on yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Rabbi Wolf, again, for sharing your wonderful wisdom. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, I, have, I had a question. Would you approach the same method uh, Meditation technique to practicing patience? Yes, absolutely. Um, impatience and patience. When you sort of analyze it, what's the basis of impatience? Very often, not always, but most often, the basis of impatience is me, I. I've got to have me come first. So forget what you're saying. I've got to say what I've got to say. Um, forget that it's going to take time of anything. I want it now. In other words, it's all, always ego. It's always self-centeredness. And therefore, if one begins to recognize that it's a real tool of the Nefesh Bahamis, so of our lower order self, and that is to become more centered on self, you start to realize how ugly it is and how negative it is and how off-putting it is and how it really uh, affects relationships negatively and always, nearly always makes you upset because impatience is not a virtue and it creates always 
uh, uh, impediments in the pathway to success. So when you put all that together, you have a sufficient repertoire of uh, uh, sense of negativity of being impatient, then you'll start to then practice catching yourself being impatient. As I said earlier, um, that if you can, the earlier stage that you can catch yourself in any kind of de default behavior that you don't like, the more you can create change within it. So in the moment of recognizing impatience, you stop, you create space, and you do exactly the opposite, initially in an exaggerated way, and slowly, slowly, you come back to a norm, which is patience. Thank you. I want to tell you that it's been a uh, wonderful experience for me to spend time with you, especially on this very auspicious day and uh, uh, night for you. I'm into tomorrow. That's why we get Mashiach first, and I'll let you know when Mashiach comes, because we're well ahead of you in time. And I'm hoping that uh, your lives will be ones of happiness and joy and inspiration. And again, I strongly advise you to taste the six-week course. Um, I've seen already an advanced copy of the course, and it's indeed a wonderful course. I didn't design it. Um, I just helped all the mentors. And um, I know that in your rabbi, you have a wonderful teacher and instructor. And I look forward to a future occasion where we may meet in person rather than uh, through this medium. And may that moment be ones where we're together once again in Jerusalem, living forever there. Be well. Thank Amen. you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Wolf. And yeah, you. Friends, if you can uh, indulge me with about 90 seconds, I want to show you a very quick clip just to explain a little bit about the upcoming course. It's all about meditation, Jewish meditation and spirituality. Rabbi Wolf mentioned tonight some distinctions between what we might call Eastern meditation or TM, there's Jewish meditation. These are a bit, these are a bit of a different uh, di different types of, of systems. We're going to explore Jewish meditation, the concept, the basis, the framework, and also actual meditations. Rabbi Wolf um, has uh, recorded videos for this series, so you'll get six weeks of additional meditations together with Rabbi Wolf and and uh, discussions with myself, yours truly. So if you will, uh, just stay with me and I'm going to show you a quick video preview of this upcoming series.
All right. Well, we don't need to see it again. I by accident hit the <laughs> to play on that, as you noticed. Um, the um, of course, the video is just to give you a taste of the style of the course. It's going to contrast, compare and contrast meditational styles, but it's mainly going to focus on meditation, Jewish meditation, hence the name meditation from Sinai. Um, it's a six week series, as you know, six sessions, six weekly sessions, two opportunities to take it Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Zoom, Thursdays at noon. There's an in-person option as well. You can take a look at the website intownjewishacademy.org slash meditation. As always, I thank you very much for joining. Thank you very much for sharing of your time and your heart and your mind to allow the space for the learning to happen. So round of applause for everybody. Rabbi Wolf, thank you so much. Um, sending blessings and lots of love your way. And please, God, as you said, we'll see each other soon in good health, in Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh, in, uh, in our holy city of Jerusalem. Take care, everybody. Right. Have a wonderful night. Uh, we'll see you all soon. Take care. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>